in against the Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> Authorization required. Captain's log. The impossible has happened. Along this journey, we'll find a way back. Enter authorization code. We might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. Our mission is to go forward. But it's just begun. There's still much to do. Still so much to learn. Security authorization accepted. Verified. Transfer complete. You're listening to An Hour with the Continuing Committee with your host, Charlie Plain. Sure thing. My name is Maggie Geppert. And how would people on the message boards know you? Uh, my handle is jadziadax8. Well, how about you start and tell everybody out there a little bit about your history with the Continuing Committee and Decipher and the Star Trek CCGs? Well, I uh, started playing Star Trek CCG back in 1999. Um, I met this cool chick named, uh, well, Blana. <laughs> no, her real name is Denise. In my chemistry class, my freshman year of college, and she learned quickly enough that I was a big damn nerd and it sh- that I liked Star Trek a lot. And she and uh, my other friend, Cheryl, who was known on the boards a long time ago as Tolera257, uh, got me into the game, started playing. Uh, we'd have tournaments. Uh, this is in Champaign-Urbana in 90s and early 2000s. And, I don't know, just kept kept playing. Um, I ran a lot of tournaments. I was an ambassador in Boston for a couple of years while I was, uh, while I was in grad school. And then I moved back here to the Chicago area and got playing with uh, this group, of, this great group of people out here that are just totally fun, and I love hanging out with them. Just have a nice, relaxed time. So I've been playing since first edition, and um, switched over to second edition when Decipher did. Just thought it was an excellent game. Did you have any concerns or reservations when you switched from? from one to two, or does it was it a pretty smooth transition for you? Well, originally when they announced the new game, I figured that I was just going to, uh, my original plan was to collect the backwards compatible cards and just keep playing first edition. Uh, and then I played a couple of games of second edition, and I really liked some of the streamlined gameplay. And... Um, gradually made the transition. I mean, we'd, we'd still hold a few first edition tournaments here and there in Boston. That uh, This is about 2000 when I moved out there. Um, but eventually we really just sort of transitioned completely over to second edition. Um, I still have all my first edition cards, but I don't think I've put a deck together for about seven years. Yeah, I unfortunately got rid of all my 1E cards. And now that now that the game's getting played again, I, I've been buying more. So it's kind of like I swear I've done this before. <laughs> <You know. laughs> but so a couple weeks ago, you ran a fairly big tournament. I think so far the biggest of the year, um, which was one of the U.S. Nationals, the the West Nationals from last year, 
was held in in your neck of the woods and you were the TD. How did that come about and what kind of stuff did you and your community have to do to prepare for running such a big tournament, a potentially big tournament? Um, well, there was actually a lot of stuff that uh, happened. Um, Dave Cook, that's Ikea on the board, at least that's how I think he pronounces that, um, sent me and Al Schaefer and Mike Burke a, a PM on the boards back in November asking us if we wanted to run nationals. And I just said, like, jumped on that. I thought that was great. And so um, Mike was really great. I said, excuse me, I said I would go ahead and run the big national tournament if um, Al would take care of running the side events because I honestly haven't gotten a whole lot of chance, chances to play since about May when my son was born. So I'm a little behind in the game, and I figured Al probably would want to play, and I thought I'd just run the event because I figured something that big – I just needed to concentrate on being the TD, and I didn't want to play in my own game. So we agreed to that, and Mike Burke did a great job. He found the venue for us uh, through his contacts at College of DuPage, where he was a student uh, not that many moons ago, and he knows a lot of the people who run the science fiction club there. So the sci-fi club uh, reserved us some rooms, and all we needed to do was give him a little bit of money for however many people showed up for the tournaments. So that was really great of Mike to do the footwork for that. Absolutely. And, then, and the space oh. was great, too. I mean, that was a, an awesome place to play. Plenty of room, and it was, it was great. So kudos for that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Al was kind of funny because he came, he came in on Friday night, and he's like, man, they've really built some new buildings here now. It, these great big shiny buildings and I wonder where we're going to be and this is going to be great and he walks in and it's the smallest uh, dingiest kind of building on campus but it was still a really really nice room and um, basically to for on my end for prepping for the tournament I mean besides gathering stuff together like having the, um, the latest C CRD and rule book and that sort of thing you know, having all the physical stuff online was I really spent some time digging into the metagame right now so I could understand what the big issues were since Worlds, you know, for instance, um, what's going on with Legacy, what are these crazy rulings about May versus May not, mm -hmm. and you know, the dilemma resolution and all that sort of stuff. So really just drilling down into the the metagame that's happening right now. So while you were doing that, what what sort of preemptively set off red flags in your head? You know, what were you, I really want to make sure I have this, and I really want to make sure I know this, just in case. What, what was worrying you the most? Um, probably things like, um, I, was, I was most worried about getting the, the errata correct for things like the um, the new Starfleet people, all the all the different errata that came out um, from uh, the last set yeah. from peak performance, uh, because there there were some there were some big changes to what the cards are were originally, and so I was kind of 
a little bit worried about making sure that I had those those changes down in my head in case somebody in case somebody came along with those particular cards. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, making sure I understood what was going on with Wayun and the VR headset because I know that was a big uh, that was a big to do after the World Championships. So that that was what was uh, that was what was sort of in my head what I was thinking about as I was reading through like the gameplay forum right. and just seeing what it, what the biggest longest most contentious threads were. Yeah, and, and it's, it's it can be especially tough when you read four pages of of arguing and there's still no clear answer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's getting better, but sometimes it takes a while to get to the right the right answer to the question. So, you you've been running events for a while, at least as as long as I've been running events, which you know that's been a long time. So, had you run anything? Um, uh, you know, it, it, I hate to I hate to make this event sound more grandiose than it actually was, but I'm going to use the term big. big, Pretty big deal. (laughs) You know, it's, it's it's level three. So it's up there with, you know, continentals uh, in terms of, you know, ratings value. It's, it's a national championship. So, I mean, there's prestige involved. Had you run anything up at that level for lack of a better term before, or was this something new for you? No, the biggest, the biggest tournament I had, uh, I have ever run was running regionals, which is a level two tournament. I mean, I had competed. I've gone to worlds before. I've got, I've gotten to uh, back when worlds was three days. I've gotten to day two of worlds before, and I've been to nationals before. So I knew how these sorts of days were supposed to go. But this was the biggest tournament I've ever run. Cool. Well, and, and I want to say, just I, I'm sure I've said it before, and I will say it again. But you did a fabulous job. Uh, from my point of view, not, it was nothing that could have been better. I think it was phenomenal. So kudos to you and everybody else who helped you set everything up. Well, you know, I actually I have to give the biggest shout out to uh, Chris Lobin. It was really hidden that uh, and the uh, the way the tournament system runs that made all of the pairing go so smoothly because there's no way that I could have done pairings on 21 people once we got to like the third or the fourth round without using the tournament software. So I got to give big thumbs up to Chris for uh, his work on the tournament system. Yeah. If you guys are running, if you guys out there are running tournaments and you have wireless access in your venue, you really should run the tournament on the system. Cause it's really nice. And, and you have to do something special once you get in there, don't you to, to run it live. I forget. It's been a while. Um, basically what you do is you go to your tournament and then, you know, where you go into manage my tournaments, and where once the tournament has started, you'll see the enter players and enter results uh, options. But when you go to enter the results, you can, it automatically pops up by player. If you change it to by round, what it'll do is it'll show a list of all of your players. Then you enter in who they played in the first round and then you have then you can enter in what the results for the first round were once you do that and submit those uh, submit those results it will automatically pair 
your next round. Yeah, it brings up the, the list of players and it matches them as best as can. And so, sometimes it's not, you, you have to check it, you know, because it, it is a computer and sometimes it can mess up. But it, it'll save you a lot of time, especially when you get deeper into the matches. So. Yeah, and, and it was, and, and I didn't have anybody who got doubled up. And I didn't have any pairings that seemed completely out there, so that was a pretty that was a pretty nice feature, for sure. Absolutely. So, how many players did we end up with? We ended up with twenty one players, which I just checked against the Nationals for '09 and '08. Nationals West didn't look Nationals East. That was the biggest Nationals tournament for the West so far this year. Or so far, excuse me, since we've had the continuing committee. Oh, yeah. It was a good turn. I was not expecting to get that many. I was very pleasantly surprised. <laughs> and if I if I counted right, we actually had people from nine different states showing up, including Florida and Alabama. Yeah, that's, that's some impressive traveling. Um, you know, I know we had some Minnesota guys. We had, obviously, Illinois folk, um, two Ohioans, Kentuckian. Michigan. I mean, yeah. it was yeah, it was a nice, nice sample Michigan, of the Midwest. <laughs> Iowa and DC. Yeah, I think that's everybody. Sounds it was it was a great turnout. So we get there, we get everybody going. Did you run into any issues with procedural stuff throughout the day? Uh, I... Um, we only had uh, one late person. It wasn't late enough to get a missed game. He just got a bye for the first round. Um, and then we got, uh, we had, we had a couple of nitty gritty things happening. We had, uh, one player who generally borrows cards from his play group. He doesn't have any cards of his own, so he'd actually printed out, um, things that weren't allowed to be printed, um. I didn't realize that until he actually mentioned it on the boards. I just thought that he had printed out, uh, I thought the issue was he printed out those cards and then he had backed them with magic cards in opaque sleeves. Right. So, so I didn't realize until well after the tournament that he had printed things like Dorian Collins, who you can't print. Yeah. Um, I thought he had just printed virtual cards out, and he had backed them with magic cards. So after the first round, um, I basically opened up a bunch of the warp packs that I was giving away, and I let him use those to back all of his cards. So that was that. But it, you know, it was one of those things. We fixed it. It was okay. Um, I didn't want to get really picky about stuff like that because I wanted everybody to have a good time. And I wanted it to be a relaxed tournament. Right, right. And, and you know, as, as formal as we try to make some of these events, there's really no big money on the line. There's really no big prizes on the line. Being super strict, just for the sake of being super strict, isn't something that's healthy for the community. But right. there were two things going on with that story. And the first one was uh, backing cards with non-Star Trek stuff. I wanted to talk about that briefly. Now, the rule says, the, the organized play guide says, you have to back your cards with a printed physical Star Trek CCG card. Correct. The reason 
Well, let me ask you, why do you think that's the rule? Um, because different, because different uh, CCGs have uh, printed their cards with different thicknesses of cardstock. Uh, some of them are different sizes. So you could very easily have a marked card if you are using Magic or, um, I don't know, one of the WizKids games. Those are the ones that, in my, like the Battlestar Galactica cards that have the weird cut corners yeah. and are really thin. So you... In, even with an opaque sleeve, you would be you could be able to feel those, and they might be and know that it's a marked card. Well, even within the print run of Star Trek, there are some variations on the thickness of the cards. Not a lot, not probably enough that your average human could detect it. But but for example, if if you're listening at home, pick up some what you leave behind, and pick up some to boldly go, and there is a noticeable difference between the the two. The, the the other issue is I have very rarely seen opaque sleeves that are truly opaque. And some of the ones with designs on them are probably okay, but you know I have these um, dark, really dark blue sleeves that I play with, and if the light's right and you push down on it, you can see right through it and see what's back there. So I mean, if I had magic cards backing my virtual cards. Again, that might be extra information. So I don't think for a minute that anybody in the in the community would cheat and try to mark their cards, but you, you you know you have to have rules for consistency. So that's the reason why they have to be backed with Star Trek cards. And for that reason, we don't recommend, and I personally don't recommend, printing on cardstock. You know, and printing the back on the back of the cards, or or printing on thick paper. Just print it on on thin photo paper or sticker paper or just do what I do and just print it on plain paper, cut it out and put it on a card. Yeah, I make uh, I make mine, I print them out on the full sheet labels and then cut them out like that and I take the labels off and I can paste them onto the cards and it makes it a little bit thicker but not really that much noticeably different from the, uh, the, like the virtual cards that uh, Dan sends out. Yeah, they're they're not. You know, there's always going to be an extra you know micron of thickness there, but not enough that you're going to tell. So now the other issue uh, was printable proxies. You know, the, this gentleman totally unintentionally forgot about the fact that he had printed cards in his deck that aren't legally printable. So there was no malicious intent here. But let me ask you your opinion on this. Do you think that the rules about what you can print and what you can't print should be changed, should be expanded, or are we in a good place? Um, I think we're in a pretty good place right now, possibly with the exception of some of the necessary evil cards. Uh, and I think that that's a road we're going to have to go down sometime in the future. But as far as I can tell, you can still get sets of necessary evil commons and uncommons on ebay but i haven't checked that in a while they're getting pricey but they do exist <laughs> yeah and and also i've heard that it's starting to get really tough to get some of the promos from the reflections 2.0 like finding the annexation drone is pretty much impossible yeah so some of those things the committee my guess is going to have to um, investigate in the next two or three years would yeah. be my guess. Well, I will say the annexation drone, at least, you can print that one because it's non-unique. 
So, um, oh yeah, I haven't thought about that. And one of the other things, you know, the, the current set of promos that we're sending out for second edition is uh, it's like four or five cards from Reflections that are hard to find. So, oh good. You know, we we can mitigate it somewhat by doing that, but you know, as a tournament director, if somebody shows up to a tournament with illegal cards for whatever for whatever reason, you know, cards that were printed that they couldn't be um you know, a, a year or two ago we had a, a another organization that released a set of first edition cards from the animated series. <laughs> Some that. somebody could get a hang somebody you know, and one of the reasons it was a big deal for us was because it created confusion. Whereas, you know, are these legal or not? You know? So somebody could in theory show up with cards they thought were legal that aren't, that aren't even, you know, officially recognized cards. Obviously for for this event, you know, everybody will let the guy play. No problems. You know, but as a tournament director, how do you handle that and when do you make it when do you have to step in and say all right, now we have a problem. Um, I, I think when it's most, a lot of it's a, uh, a matter of the level of the tournament. So if we're, you know, if it's just an everyday monthly tournament, we're having some, having a good time, and you printed a couple of commons out, like unique, um, like unique personnel. Like say I had wanted to play my Chairman's Challenge deck at the virtual tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Chairman's Challenge deck had... Um, the yesterday's Enterprise TNG crew in it. Well, most of those guys are unique, so I wouldn't have been able to print them out for a virtual tournament. Like if it was an everyday tournament, I'd be, you know what? Okay, that's fine. But if we're talking about printing out lots and lots of hard to get rares, you know, things that a lot of people want and don't have, like I don't know, maybe. Uh, all-out war or something like that. It's yeah. really hard to find rare, and you're printing three of those and three of a lot of the other big hard-to-get rares like that. That's that's starting to make it not as fun for the other people who are playing by the rules and aren't printing those cards out. So I might have to tell them like after the tournament, especially if it's a, like a every like a monthly tournament. Look, I'm sorry, you can't bring those cards again. I'm not going to chase them away, disqualify them from that tournament, but you know, if it if it becomes something that happens a whole lot, like tournament after tournament, I ask them not to bring those things, um, they might find that they're not on my email list anymore for a tournament. And I, I think the unfortunate reality is, you know, in, until we get to a point where everything's printable, you know, and, and that's a whole, we could have an entire podcast discussing that and and maybe we will in the future but (laughs) right now it's not and you know if you come to worlds and at gen con or you come to continentals wherever we put it you need to make sure you're following the rules of what you can print and what you can't because it it's really not fair to anybody else if you make the top 16 with illegally printed cards and, and everybody else didn't you know and so so I don't know if you catch that with a deck check or what, but, you know, I, I don't want to be a jerk about it, and I'm not trying to be a jerk about it. In, in fact, if you need cards, 
you know, go on the forums and, and post your trade list. And we'll, there are tons of people out there who will be happy to send you extra commons and uncommons or trade with you to get what you need. And, and, oh, and... absolutely. I mean, I have boxes and boxes and boxes of spare commons and uncommons sitting around my house that I just can't bear to get rid of. And uh, my husband will be like, so what are we doing with all these cards? I'm like, you will not throw my cards away. <laughs> We might get get new players, but, you know, if you need cards, contact me. Contact, I mean, any TD. Get on, go go to your local TDs. I mean, when I used to run tournaments every week, I had, we kept uh, one of those big, like, 5,000 count card boxes in our store just with extra commons and uncommons. And if somebody showed up and needed cards, just drop it on the table and be like, help yourself, you know? And, yep, and exactly. I, that mentality is uh, abounds in our community. So, so, but I think the long and short of it is, you can't show up at a major tournament with print with non-printable cards printed and expect to. You know, I'm not going to say you can't play, but I'm going to follow the code of conduct. And you know, if that means you're going to have a, a deck error, and I'm going to make you take the cards out, maybe I do. You know. If it's only one or two extra cards, it might not make your deck it might not matter. But if it makes your deck illegal, you know, I'm gonna let you play the tournament, but you're gonna forfeit all your games. You know, and I'm not trying to be a jerk. I hope everybody understands. And and, and obviously, it's up to the individual tournament directors how they want to handle it. But you know, there and the reason I make a big deal out of this, and I'm not singling anybody out, but I know that there are some communities out there that do their own print whatever you want policy at their tournaments, and while I cannot officially approve of that activity, you know, if I don't know what's going on, obviously I can't do anything about it. Um, just make sure that when you're going to these bigger tournaments, when you're traveling, when you're going to a regional in another area, when you're going to nationals or continentals, borrow friends from your borrow cards from your friends, trade for the cards you need, make sure your deck is legal. We did have one other issue that was sort of like that. Uh, was one of the other players uh, built a deck, a virtual deck, so all of his cards were legal in that sense. Um, it was a Tarek Nor deck, um, but he printed them all off in black and white. Right. And I didn't catch this until the very last round. Well, and um, again, that that rule is is one of the ones I'm kind of the least upset about you want to know why that rule is in place uh two or three years ago at gen con we were playing and we had um we just started with virtual cards so people hadn't really figured out how to print them yet and a bunch of people had them in black and white um we were i think we were sitting next to i don't know if it was raw deal or another group of guys that also had virtual cards but theirs were printed out in black and white, and they looked awful. I mean, they mm-hmm. looked they looked awful. And it, I'm sitting there, you know, looking at these guys playing, and I'm like, why would I ever play a game that looked that bad? You know, and, and ours, we have such such talented art people working for us. They're beautiful. They look as good or better as anything Decipher ever made. Um. It's it's really promotion why why that rule's in place so that anybody who comes by and looks at you playing sees high quality cards. You know I understand that color prints are more expensive than black and white prints and and again 
short of a major event, there's no way I would come up to you and say, well, you can't play because you have black and white. But, you know, that, that rule's there for appearances, and that's important because we're not going to get players to play the game if they think the game looks terrible. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, that's yeah. no, that's totally understandable. And again, it was the last round. It was not – this guy made the top ten, but it wasn't like – you know, the championship was on the line, and he had these black and white cards. I figured, you know what? What the hell? And now we know he didn't, and he honestly didn't know. Yeah. Because he's not a he's not a you know, he's he's a bit of a lurker on the boards. He's one of my guys. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so he just he honestly didn't know that the cards needed to be in color and not black and white. And, and you know, and, and honestly, if we were playing in the sixth round, and that was the first time you you'd noticed it. Obviously, nobody he played against minded. Right. You know, everybody probably said, oh, I thought they had to be in color, or you know they need to be in color, it's not a big deal, you know. And that just, again, that shows to me how great our community is. It was just so much fun, the whole the whole day. Everybody was, you know, had a lot of camaraderie. It was it was great. I know. It, the, it, air, the, the groove in the room was great. And fr- from from the minute I got there till the minute I left, and, and even after, because a bunch of us went out to to dinner afterwards. It was just an awesome, it was like, you know, it was a gathering of friends. It was a lot of fun. During the six rounds, what kind of rules questions did you run into? And did any of them surprise you? You know, it, I just didn't, there were hardly any rulings at all. I, the, I got a ruling on, you know, can he, uh, the guy who played Tarak Noor, can he play ruling council three times on, if, when he finishes one mission? And that was an easy one. Yep. Was yes. Um, there was one other ruling. But honestly, nobody was trying anything big. Um, there, you know, nobody was really going out there with uh, trying trying big new strategies that I would need to make rulings on. Right. Uh, I think there was something about timing on a mission attempt, but I can't even remember what it was. Well, let me, I think, well, I'm curious what you think, but I have a feeling a lot of people did not build decks, did did not build new decks for this event, knowing that a new release was coming. That's entirely possible. I, I know that, you know, new releases always shake up the meta and get people excited. They tend to build their decks in the month or two after a release comes out. And when you know another one's right around the corner, you know, do I really want to spend the time building something new when in a couple of weeks it's going to be all different anyway? So, well, one of the things that really surprised me about the deck builds, uh, and I was just leafing through the deck lists earlier today, was that there was not a single person who played a Legacy Dilemma Pile. Nobody, not one at all. Not one. <laughs> wow. Now, there were three tragic turn dilemma piles. No, excuse me, four tragic turn dilemma piles. Now, Legacy is probably the most controversial card in the game right now. Exactly. Why do, you, was, why do you think everybody avoided it? Um, my personal opinion was that everybody decided to tech against it. Yeah. They figured everybody else was going to play. So was going to play Legacy, so they all decided to tech against it. Well, and and that's true, but I had two deck options available to me going into that tournament. One was the board deck that I ended up playing, 
that just had a, a um, it wasn't really a all skill dilemmas, but it had you know a higher percentage of skill dilemmas, and you play them out early. And it was a board deck, so that I had the ability to analyze and adapt Legacy as it was played on me. Right. The the other deck that that my guy came out with, Jared Huffman, he really wanted me to play this, and in hindsight, I should have played it. It was a, a damaged arc, archer Starfleet deck with a Legacy dilemma pile, and I psyched myself out into thinking that either everybody would be ready for Legacy or everybody would be playing Legacy, and and, <laughs> and in that and in that situation. Legacy is a terrible choice. You don't want to yep. play it. So I'm wondering if, if all 21 players essentially head faked themselves into thinking Legacy was going to be everywhere and therefore we're not going to play it. Because, I mean, if I'd played Legacy, everybody who... I mean, I played two people playing Tragic Turn and that would have hit both of them. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know what would have happened. I could have, I could have had it backfire on me and gone 0-6, but it seemed to me Legacy would have done great. And, and hearing that not one player played it now, I guess the question then is, does that mean legacy is a non-issue? Or does that mean legacy is such an issue that it's coloring what people are playing, even though nobody's playing it? I don't know. I mean, we're sort, we're sort of starting get, to get into the scene in uh, The Princess Bride with the Sicilian. Yes. That you know that I know <laughs> that you know. Yeah. I, I have no idea. And we could do, I could de- definitely throw out that question on the message boards and say, hey guys, um, why didn't you play Legacy? What was in your head when you were putting your deck together? There's a very vocal contingent of people out there who want to errata Legacy. And, and our rules committee, for better or worse, is very data-oriented. Meaning, right. you know, they want to see evidence in tournaments that something is an issue before they'll take action. And, and for the most part, I'm, I think that's the right way to be. But here's the question, and, and, and I definitely think we should we should take this to the message boards and, and talk about it. Is the reason you know there's no data from this big event on Legacy because nobody played it. So does that really mean Legacy's not a problem, or, or like I said, did everybody head fake themselves into making it such a big deal that it it completely altered the way people built and played their decks? And, and is that too much power that one card should have? These are huge rhetorical questions. I'm not asking you to answer, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, understandable completely. So, so, that, so maybe that's something that I will go ahead and throw out onto the gameplay message board and say, "This is this is something we found. What what were you guys thinking when you were building your decks?" Yeah, I, I definitely think that'd be very helpful. So you were looking through the deck lists. What kind of, you know, one of the things I've done the last couple of years at Worlds is uh, first round I go through and write down all the headquarters that people are playing and I, I tweet it. Um, now you're having the deck list and having time to look at it. What was the headquarters spread like? What were the affiliations represented? You know, it was it was really kind of uh, all over the place. I, w- I found... Um... I mean, we had stuff like people playing. We had people playing Bajoran. We had, I, I believe that there were something like four cadet decks. That Sounds might have about been right. the biggest representation. I know there was a couple board decks. Uh, Mike Harrington played Klingons. 
Um, I know I ran into a Starfleet deck. There was a Tarek Noor. Um, we had uh, a Dominion Deep Space Nine. Nice. I, I'll give you three guesses. That's got to be Mike. That crazy idea. That's got to be Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Van Bremen. I, I know there was. I, I played against the Voyager deck that was good. Um, We've got. Let's see. I'm seeing a couple of Starfleets. Um, a couple of Cardassians. Um, DS9, next gen, or excuse me, original series. Like, just it's all over the place. Was there anybody that didn't show up? Oh, uh, let's see. I know I'm putting you on the spot. I, I, I don't think I saw a Ferengi deck. No, I played Ferengi deck on Friday night. Does that count? Yeah, sure. I love the Ferengi, but I didn't see a Ferengi deck in Nationals. No, I don't see any Ferengi. Let's see. Bajoran, Borg, Cardassian. We've got the Dominion DS9. So there's a Dominion dual headquarters, but no straight Dominion. No straight Dominion. Okay. Um, let's see. Anybody? No Ferengi. But I think we've got um, DS9, Voyager, Next Gen, Original Series. We don't have, like, a DS9 Earth deck. Yeah. I think that'll change after Extreme Measures releases, but... In, well, uh, this podcast is going up Friday, and also on Friday is a... Uh, you'll see why. So, <laughs> they're getting some serious love. Nice. But, uh... Um, any but- Maquis? We have one Maquis. We've got Starfleet, Romulan, Klingon. Um, Sounds like just about everything was, was played. And, and one of the guys who played the Next Gen Headquarters uh, was uh, Next Gen Diplomacy, but he had a ton of non-aligns in there, too. Gotcha. Brian Brian uh, Brian Leonard t- tends to play with non-aligns a lot. Like He'll build a lot of all non-aligned decks. Well, you can get away with that because, I mean, there are dilemmas that hurt you for that, but not a lot of people play them. So right. it's that's a really strong, if, if you're going to a tournament and you know that somebody's going to play it, then you throw one in. But other than that, you, you leave them out. So, yes, so. But it, it looks like we did have a pretty good spread of affiliations. Now, um, I know Neil's appearance was a surprise for a lot of people. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Was that the biggest surprise of the day for you, or was was there something else that shocked you? I think that was the biggest surprise, actually, um, because he showed up on he showed up for the Friday night tournament. I walk in just about as the tournament's starting, and uh, I see this big tall dude sitting over, kind of in the corner. He stands up, and I'm like, "Oh, hey, I'm Maggie. Nice to meet you." And he's like, "Hey, I'm Neil." I'm like, "Oh, cool, Neil. It's nice, you know." Where are you from? And he takes off, he had his trench coat on. He takes off his coat and he's wearing his team jersey shirt. And I'm like, oh, that Neil. <laughs> awesome. he, he loves to tell that story. He just, he's told it several times. So <laughs> Now, um, Neil played Borg and won. What, pro, before the event, what did you think was going to win the day? Um. I was thinking uh, Damaged Starfleet actually was going to win the day. That was, see, I would have put money on that or Tarak Noor uh-huh. going those, into it. and then those, That too. It, it, it's, it's funny because essentially the same stuff that was winning prior to peak performance still won again. You know, and, and, and as much hubbub has been out there about peak performance was broken and this. And I, obviously what happened at Worlds, there was a couple things that were wrong once they got dealt with. 
it, you know, the, here's here's the question, and I want to. I'm very curious to hear what you have to say. The design can only do so much to put cards in the game to deal with other cards. You know, it, the old adage is you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So, you know, if if the design keeps putting out cards and keeps putting out cards to deal with Tragic Turn, for example, and people just don't play them, at, at what point is design like, okay, I'm done. You know, we can't do anymore. You know, how, where's that line? You know, I, I, I honestly don't know because I've never really done any card design, even dream cards. So it, it's it's really tough to say. I think we've finally gotten to the point where, um, you know, I remember way, way back around Premiere and uh, Energize that Brad saying, we want people to use more events. People need to use more events. And, you know, now it seems like finally people have gotten around to using more events because now you have to pack event destruction in your deck if you want to be competitive. So I guess it's one of those things you really have to give these sort of trends a couple of years to get going. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, extreme measures was being designed six months ago. You know, we're working on not only the set after that, but the set after that too, right now, you know, so there's a built in and it's, it's a lot easier with virtual cards to correct for this, but there is a built in delay between when something happens in the metagame and when design can address it. You know, when Decipher was printing cards, they would literally have to finish something and then send it off for four months and it's done. You know, I, we could right now go in and change something in extreme measures if we, if we felt we needed to. You know, even though, because there's no printing process. It's just, all right, here's the file, go, have fun. You know, I could change something up until the very last minute. Right, it, right, exactly. But but even so, the, you know, then then it's not tested, then it's not being developed. That's very risky. You know, but there is a lag. It's less it's less so than there was, but there is a lag, you know, and, and cards, you know, when Worlds happens in August, the earliest anybody will see anything uh, design-wise to react to what that produced would be like December, the set after. So, you know, it, it's tricky. And I want everybody to always realize there, there's this tricky line between the meta and the players and design and rules. And it's it's not something that's as simple as this is how it is. And obviously the legacy question we talked about earlier should illustrate that, you know. Right, exactly. Well, exactly. Uh, you know, at the end of the day was... You know, two thumbs up, five stars. My that's my rating. How would you rate the event and and the day? Oh, awesome! Totally. You know, it, it completely re-energized my love for this game because you know the last eight or nine months now, I just haven't had my head in the game because of family stuff, and I'm like, I'm ready to hold another tournament. Awesome! You know, that's I, great. You know, when I saw when I saw the tournament kits are going up, I'm like, ooh, ooh, all right buy one right now like the first day i'm like okay i'm running an extreme measures event and i'm gonna i'm gonna go get the tournament kit right now absolutely you know that's great so yeah it's you know it is just it is so much fun playing and you know getting to hang out with everybody after the tournament was a lot of fun because you know it's really just a good friendly group of people and 
I know some of the guys come off as being like, oh god, not again, on the boards, because, you know, internet plus an- anonymity equals asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes. But what, that's one of the laws of the internet, right? I, uh, yeah, I think they made a penny arcade about that. I'll have to find it and, and put it in the link, the notes yes. for the show, but... Actually, I think that is exactly where where I got that from. I actually but, think you yeah. used the the PG thirteen version of it. I think they used a little <laughs> bit more uh, intense language, but you, yeah, you can you can beat you can bleep me out if you need to. But you know what? It's true. The, the, there are people. The obvious example is John Corbett, but he's not the only one. There are people who act very differently online and in person, and you know there there are people who never post online who chat my ear off when I meet them at Gen Con. You know. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I've said it before, and I will con- continue to say it. We have the best community of players in the universe, uh, and it, it, honestly, it's the reason I do what I do. And I know a lot of other volunteers feel the same way. I mean, I put in so much time and energy into this game that it's not a game; it's really work. But I do it because the people make it so rewarding. So, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I've learned many important lessons hanging out with the Star Trek crowd. Didn't, Many important lessons. Ju- yeah, just and and I know Star Trek has had a, an influence on your your family life. What what's your son's name? Uh, my son's name is Miles. Miles, yes. And that is totally coincidental. My husband picked Miles, and for a while he was picking Edward as the middle name until I pointed out that, um, honey, Miles <laughs> Edward O'Brien. Yes. Uh, and he's so he changed his middle name, but um, he's a real sweetheart. Uh, yeah, just, it's, it's great, great having a son. And I do miss the freedom of being able to go out and do a tournament whenever I like, but it's very rewarding. And someday when he's old, old enough, not to just try to eat the cards, it'll be fun to teach him how to play. Yeah. Well, we've got enough Trek players with kids that I've, I've joked about it, but I'm starting to not joke about it. You know, 2020. Junior championship at Gen Con, you know, everybody bring your kid and we'll we'll have a whole kids tournament. We have, I mean, we've got enough. There's enough kids in that age range now. We can totally do it in a couple of years. So, oh, definitely. I think you know this was this was the year of this was the year of children. Like I I swear I saw so many birth announcements in the box. I can't even count. I know. It, it, I mean, I I don't want to start naming them because I'm going to forget a bunch, but. There are a lot of Star Trek players having kids, and it's like you know, maybe that's how we solve our recruitment issue. We just pair off Trek players and mate, you know. So, awesome. So let me ask you. Awesome. Do you have any questions for me? Um, it's okay if I not. I can think of. So. I could just. I, I will thank you for pizza. Yeah, we, we bought pizza. I bought pizza for uh, Neil and I pitched in and bought pizza, Every, and a bunch of people threw in. That was really nice of everybody, but. Yeah, we bought pizza, and then there were donuts in the morning, so I got to mess up my diet the whole day, but that was cool. It was fun. And uh, <laughs> I have one thing I want to do here. Uh, okay. I do – I don't know how much you've listened to the podcast, but I, I do every now and then a random card review. All right. And uh, what I'm going to do here is open a pack of Call to Arms, and I'm going to find the rare, and we're going to talk about it for a minute here. Okay. So it is uh, Alexander Roshenko, Good Luck Charm. This is the young Alexander from Deep Space Nine when he served on his, yeah, the Klingon when he ship. Served, 
when he served served on Martok's ship. He is a uh, Klingon affiliation personnel. He costs two. Uh, he has a staff star, six four five for his attributes. Engineer, honor officer, transporters, and his ability says when you win an engagement involving this personnel, you may draw a card. So, have you ever used Alexander Roshenko? Good luck charm in a deck. Possibly. I think I might have used him in the last Klingon deck I built because I needed some engineer or transporters. But I can't remember off the top of my head. That deck is back in my closet. See, I think... I mean, he's really pretty useful for his skills. I mean, four skills, two costs, pretty standard. His attributes aren't great, but he does but have two of... Human. He does have two of the rarer skills for Klingons. You know, his his ability, win an engagement, draw a card, that's essentially in second edition, that's, you know, once a turn, draw an extra card, which, and uh, I, I gotta find it somewhere, but I, uh, Brad's on record as saying he and Evan, when they were designing second edition, uh, way overvalued cards that draw cards. You know, if you look at, at uh, second edition Energize and Call to Arms, there are a lot of cards that, you know, discard a card to draw a card. In mm-hmm. first edition, that was huge. You know, that's a huge advantage. In, in second edition, when you can literally draw as many cards as you want on your turn, not very useful. Now, he is backwards compatible, so in a one e deck, he might be you know fairly nice. But I just think in two e, he's a uh, you know he's sort of icing on the cake. You know, if you if you get him out and you're playing a battle deck, there's really not a reason not to put him in. But He's not spectacular. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd go with that assessment. Um, probably, like you said, icing on the cake. If you, if you had, like, if you were having a really great game and you had a whole bunch of battle-related cards out and you happened to... It, it would be fun to be able to say, okay, I win the engagement, now I do this, and 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 yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, five responses oh, to one stuff. fight. Yep. So, well, thanks for being on the show. It's been great to talk to you. Well, thanks for inviting me, Charlie. I really appreciate being able to talk. It was awesome. No problem. And we will catch you guys next week. All right. Excellent. <laughs>